This podcast is brought to you by On Track Studio. Hi, Michelle. Welcome to our next fabulous episode of Eminem. How are you today? Oh, thanks, Matthew. I'm fabulous. And you? I'm really good, actually. I'm really good. Thank you for asking. It's good to see you. It's good to be back into the podcast studio, isn't it? It's wonderful. It's just such a great little facility here. Yeah, we really actually should plug this little spot for those listeners, those valued listeners who aren't actually sure where we are. We're at the Keep Cook. Kiwana Library. We're at the Kiwana Library. You're good at marketing it, yes. <laughs> not, not the Quinana Library, but the Kiwana Library. The Kiwana Library on the sunny coast. They have um, they have this amazing podcast studio and, uh, yeah. You... Storycast Studios. It's wonderful. Live on air. So it's great to be back. It has mood lighting and an air con, all the things you could need. And I think famous people might have been in here at some stage. Love that. Well, in the past. Us, you, you mean oh, us. God. We're on our way to being famous. We're emergent. Famous in your lunchbox. <gasps> famous in your underpants. But I was going to say, I don't know why you'd be famous in your undies. Well, there are <laughs> quite a few people that are. <laughs> only um, fans. Al McPherson. Um, so, only fans. You know that they've taken the R-rated content out of that? Well, I had heard that, but then I've just read today an article about a girl who doesn't look like a girl. She looks like an alien with boobs, and she reckons she, she earned $50,000 in five days. Ten grand a day. I reckon that maybe there's still some saucy content. No, I think they haven't. I think it's the end of September. Oh, is it probably yeah, like a so run everyone's out rubbing their bits all over the cameras so immediately <laughs> to get their cash cow. Anyway, look, Michelle, last time on the fabulous episode of Eminem, you and I discussed some beautiful M-words. I had a crack at Machiavellian. Mm, I loved that. Um, yeah, and we talked a little bit about uh, what that word means and, and kind of politicians who today could be seen as Machiavellian, and you let us know about Maul. Mm, Maul. We didn't talk about Darth Maul either. I noted that, that mm. there was no Star Warsy stuff going on. On Machiavellian, one thing I wanted to say to you is it was a whole heap of stuff I learnt that he didn't do, and he wasn't. I had heard or assumed he was a whole heap of things. Yeah, he wasn't. He actually wasn't. He actually wasn't that bad. He was more of a philosopher. Mm. He was a thinker. Yes. He had thoughts. He wasn't out impaling people or mauling people indeed. No, he wasn't. What did we agree that mauling oh mauling is all about emergency. It's the it's the start of what could become a murder or a rape or both. Now today, my dear, we've got some fabulous new words that we're going to unpack. Um, I'm going to be having a chat about macaroni. Mm. Very excited to give you some uh, some info on macaroni and you will be talking about Micronesia. Micronesia. And I believe that's because a couple of episodes ago, you talked about the Mariana Trench, but you didn't call it that. You went, is that the Muranunumunu Trench? And now I know. <laughs> now I know. And now I even know how it got named and... All the things. All the things. I like to educate you, Michelle. Look, I'm, I'm getting up on my geography. It's going to take a long, long time. But look, before we kick off onto the words, I'm going to start today's episode... Wow, you're really mixing it up, I'm Matthew. going straight there. I, I need to tell a story. I need to get it off my chest. What is this segment called? It's Matthew's Monday Mood. Oh! I and can't actually say it without And the it's sound. Michelle's moist moment. Both Ooh, of them went off. Maybe hybrid. We'll, maybe we'll do... We're going to start off with our moists and our moods. 
Okay, so my mood is frisky. Oh, oh. I'm frisky Michelle. Go. I've had my sister's dog, also known as Mia, also Ooh. known as Mia Mia, also known as Miss Pooh. Also, is it Mia as in missing in action? Yes, MIA. Right. She has been staying at my house because my sister has been on school holidays with my nephew up in Cairns. Wow, she actually travelled. She, yes, I know. What? In not a car. In an aeroplane. <gasps> Thing in the sky. So this dog is a poodle cross... No, oh, I can never say this other breed. It's like the Lohapso Schwapso. Oh, yeah, it's got a whole lot of vaches, Olibavos. You know that one? Yeah, I know. Yeah. So Looks she's a bit little. like Laksa, but it isn't that. No, Lohapso Mapsi. Lohuesavoa. <laughs> anyway, I do know what you mean. She's a she's a petite little ankle biter, but she's an absolute sweetie, this little dog. And does and she shed? No, oh, that's she got why the they got her. Thing. Yeah. They got oh, her because good. this breed doesn't shed at all. So very smart. They've they've bred the, sh- the shedding out. Yeah. So Mia's been staying with me for the last few days, week, and let me tell you, back before Mia got spayed and she was quite the young pup, she used to, because I crossed my legs at times when I sit, you know, I like mm. to have my leg crossed, she used to see the ridge of my foot cross like that and she'd go, mm, yeah, give me that. And she would just come and straddle that and she would really find the spot and she would go it. I suppose it sort of would feel like there's um, like a gas lift going on for a dog actually, wouldn't it? Mm. Yes. And she, and I just sat there and went, you know what, babe, you got an itch? Scratch it. You know, this is the thing I, you're so kind. (laughs) It's the milk of human kindness that is coursing through your veins, Mr. Catart. She's welcome. Mm -hmm. So anyway, she did. You didn't enjoy it at all though, did you? Helping out the animals. I'm an animal Lover, no, mm, not quite. <laughs> Maybe a facilitator of love. Anyway, she got spayed, and everyone said to us, "She will no longer have the need to do that." <laughs> Your she foot was... will get really, really lonely now. Yeah, well, she was quite young, right? So she was a pup when they got her, like a real, you know, tiny little thing. And then they, the vet, the vet said, at this age when that we spay them, that's it. Like the mental side of you know wanting to be itch scratched, itch scratched, <laughs> having the itch, it's gone. Mm-hmm. And so I'd like to, and so she got spayed and that was a while back. That was a couple of months ago. So I've had her at my house all week and guess who's been frisky and mounting my foot? Okay. So you're putting the shout out to the vets to say, "Uh, uh, uh-uh-uh, I know better. She, now look, I do. Maybe this is an aberration. Maybe it's just her. Well, I I don't know. She's the only dog I've got around. Maybe you get your foot out at the local dog park and see what happens. Well, I don't know if I want to be a foot whore. Oh, and also she might get way jealous. Like you've, you've been you've been pimping this fucking foot out. As soon as I put the foot out, she's on it, oh, and you should see the look it's in muscle her memory. eyes. She looks up at me because you know I've got my leg crossed and looking down at her, and she looks up at me, and the look on her face changes. This kind of smile comes on. Oh no, but like, a little bit excited smile. Oh no, oh, yeah, and she finds that itch. Let me tell you, Michelle, she finds it. Are you telling me she's still got the same itch? It's not gone away at all. We've no. got no, no. Oh, poor little bugger. She doesn't know that she doesn't have the parts inside mm, anymore, mm. but she scratches it and then scratches it twice more. Mm-hmm. Just in case, just for good measure. Just in case. The other Last night I actually said to her, it's akin to three bean salad, little Mia Poo. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> how old was she when she started doing this to your football? Very young, I would say two months old. Oh, it's just really not on. Mm. And so she's grown a lot in stature since then. Oh, yeah. She's now about uh, 14 months old. 
And in stature, you mean in size, she doesn't get a lot bigger. She's one of the Lahapso things stay small. Mm. So she's a yippy dog. She's an ankle biter, but she has grown bigger. Mm. But man, Frisky is my mood. Frisky's the mood. She's still carrying the full weight of her. She comes for me and she. Will anybody do her or is it just your foot? It's, she knows that you and used to be other people's feet, but they would they would absolutely stop her. Where I looked down at this poor poor young oh. lass, and I said, "Scratch it." You know, therefore, that maybe you've got part. You're part of the problem. Yes, I'm. You're an actually em- extending the itch. I'm an enabler. You're you're an enabler. <laughs> you need to let that poor dog forget the foot. I forget the foot, I Mia. Don't want her to go without. No, no, forget the foot, Mia. You get you get your MIA right away from my FOOT. That's my Monday mood. Now, Michelle, I actually hit both our sound effects, so we better get into your moist moment. Oh, we better. Thank you. Michelle's moist moment. Michelle, what's making you moist? Matthew, today I'm moist over the amazing number of Australians who've decided that they don't care that they can't leave the country. They're getting out. And they're going on a road trip. And of all of the places in the world, like of all the continents in the world, and I'll bring you back to continents later, that's actually relevant. Other than probably America and Africa, I guess, we got some hellish miles. And sorry, in Australia, they're kilometres. Mm, glad, mm. glad, glad they're you not translatable. That. No. No, we're, um, what are we? We're. Decimal, not imperial. Thank you. Mm. I am loving the fact that in Queensland right now, Matthew, you would be really hard-pressed to find a new caravan with all of its bibs and bits and bobs ready to go. Mostly you'll need to order and it might be months. And if you need parts, oh, forget about it. How did you learn this, Michelle? Uh, okay, so I have a bit of a confession to make. Mm. I went to the Caravan and Motorhomes show and I actually enjoyed it. <sighs> Hang on a minute. I know. No, this is I a whole other episode. I, I found a grey hair in my eyebrow today. Oh! My first one in my eyebrow. Sorry, back to the camping and caravan show, Michelle. What? I know. And so I was there with everybody else who's (laughs) old and has some super in, you know, SEQ it seemed. Oh, my gosh. The RNA showgrounds were teeming with older to elderly Australians and the place was full of the most incredible. You can can stop. Stick onto our road something that costs $500,000 and has wheels and will take you anywhere, anywhere. Half a mil? Yep. Wow. And it has bits that stick out from it. When you stop, you've got like a gas thing that, oh, God, that's the technical term, and it it expands out like a, a TARDIS that goes whoop. Does it have, most importantly, if half a mil, does it have a bidet? Will it water my bum clean? Well, it actually has two separate bathrooms at either end of said expanding home on wheels. I know. That's massive. It's incredible. So, yeah, um, it's a a thing because everybody's feeling claustrophobic, obviously. We can't get out. And a lot of people, especially, you know, around my parents' age, don't really want to go into the airports if they can help it. So, mm. yeah, out on the roads. And we can't even really go into state anymore. We've been locked up tight. This is it. This is it. Which would not be making me moist. Again, just a thematic little link there. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I'm loving the road trip. I think that Australians go hard or go home. Mm. Well, and, we are a nation of travellers and when mm. we can't travel, we find a way. And we've got 
unbelievable, spectacular landscape Mm. Everywhere we look. Mm. The Sunshine Coast, we're absolutely sport for choice up here, aren't we? Absolutely. Oh, yep. Hinterland to coast, we've got it all. Thank you for my moist moment. Michelle, permit me to talk about macaroni. Oh, I can't wait for this. I'm actually hungry, so go. <laughs> Did you ride your pony? <laughs> By the way. Oh, you thought I was going to go into Yankee Doodle Dandy? Well, or I'm riding... My pony. What's that got to do with macaroni? I don't know. It just rhymes with macaroni. (laughs) (laughs) I thought you were going to do, you know, because he stuck a macaroni in his hat. Okay. Macaroni, Michelle, a dry pasta shaped like narrow tubes. It's made out of durum wheat. I'm going to get the boring stuff out of the way first because I always go there first. Did you know that, Michelle, in the United States, it is regulated that up to 15 types of shaped dry pastas are known as macaroni products? I would get really confused by that. So what I'm saying is macaroni in the United States is actually like a genre of food. And are they all tubes? Yes. Right. Different thickness, different But it must be a tube. So what we call penne, they'd call macaroni, maybe? Correct. Ah. Some of them are bendy, some of them bolt straight. Like we also have those really small, thin ones. I can't Mm. remember the name of them. There's so many. 15 in the United States and it's regulated. Michelle, I'd like you to let that sink in. This is how much the Americans like mac and cheese. Is it, uh, it's regulated. So it's part of the Food and Drug Administration. To, if you want to be classified a macaroni, you best be putting a project together. Right. And you've got to meet certain yep. um, criteria for your durum wheat and yep. your other things that are in pasta. <laughs> the word macaroni, Michelle, it mm. comes from an Italian, obviously an Italian background, and it, and it was like macchiarati nonni nonni. I made that up. <gasps> Could you tell that I lied? There's no, no, no cultural appropriation there at all. Um, it's, a yeah, big, right. it's a big long word like macaroni oni oni or something. And, <gasps> and it does. <laughs> it's more complicated than that, but anyway. <laughs> if you were writing the Latin language, I'm quite sure that's how a macaroni would be written. Macaroni oni oni. <laughs> sounds like a, that's a bit of a song. It sounds something that ABBA would produce, actually. Oh, forget Mamma Mia, we've got macaroni, honey, honey, honey. <laughs> I may have just macaroni. lost it. Macaroni. Okay. Go. It, so the word. Tubes, yes. Yes, it originated in Italy, but not the product. Oh. So mac, mac and cheese is what I'm talking about when I talk about the product. Because yeah. macaroni, so in Italy, it's any type it's of tube. Penne. <laughs> it's any type of tubed pasta. No, it's not penne, that's small. But they technically don't have it with just cheese sauce. They'll have it with like a... Um, one with hope, that's right. Uh, a Richie tomato one. Yeah. Um, yeah. Passa- with, passata? Yes, with a passata and maybe with a little bit of gorgonzola, just to add that into your Monday mood. I love mood. the Amatrigiana. Oh, yeah. Del- delicious. But it never was... It's it's never the biggest thing in, in Italy at all. So what happened was macaroni and cheese actually originated in the United Kingdom. Yep, it was the Brits that first put it together. Hey, the people who <laughs> who deep fried the Mars bar. Mm. Yeah. It was around the 1700s. Basically, so hungry it was it was a cheese. really cost effective way of getting protein into the diet. Yes, I've heard I've heard a cheese sandwich a- a described as a Welsh rarebit. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So they had no for people that needed protein mm. and had Bugger all cash. This became 
a staple dinner. You got some stodge sticking to your, yeah. your guts there, yeah. Yeah. Um, so basically, and then obviously it didn't take long. I think it was within Jefferson, one of the presidents in 1793 visited the UK. I think, I hope I'm not lying when I say that. I and think, that was what he brought I home. I think he took a boat over with all his slaves. Right. And he ate mac and cheese in the UK and then he took it back And so we America. need to get some of this and we need to go 30 types. Oh, 30? America went berserk for it. So to understand the evolution of mac and cheese in the US means to accept the hunt for the cheapest possible meal. Yeah, okay. Because it's unbelievably cheap yeah, over there. Yeah, You can get a box of mac and cheese, whether it's Kraft or Velveeta, for less than a buck. And You're not a- getting any nutrition in that box, though, are you? No, no. no. Well, you're getting protein. You're getting it stuck to your you're guts, getting wheat. but that's it. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Less than a buck can feed a family of four per meal. In 1793, Thomas Jefferson got the credit in the United States for popularising mac and cheese. It became a craze in the US, but here's the bit. It wasn't actually Thomas Jefferson at all. It was his enslaved cook. What a was, surprise. Who was a man by the name of James Hemmings who learnt how to cook it. So when he was when they were over in the UK, this slave went into the other the UK slave's kitchen and they were cooking it and he had a mouthful and he was the private cook or chef of Jefferson and a slave. And he was the one that, when they went back over, said to Jefferson one night, I, I learnt how to cook you this macaroni and cheese dish if you want it. And he did, and he made it for everyone in, I'm not going to say the White House, but, you know, in the vicinity. Hmm. They all gobbled it down, and within 50 years, mac and cheese became absolutely everywhere all the time, all the things. It's a nice metaphor for empire, I think. In the antebellum southern states, do you know what I mean when I'm saying antebellum? No. So antebellum basically means they're very religious. Oh, right, okay. Very, very religious. The people who, if you don't eat their mac and cheese, they shun you. It became a celebrated weekend food. So post-church, oh, um, post-song, um, you know, gospel, all that sort of stuff. I'd be wanting a watermelon salad. And to, Wow. I yeah, know. Yum. Yeah, same sort of area, you know. I want mint Steps in my watermelon out. salad. Oh, me too. I want vodka in mine. <laughs> <laughs> We've just gone to you drink your bottle of vodka after church. <laughs> Today in the mm. southern states, it is still a staple food on the weekend. So it's like a celebrated dish. Like if you go to a, a very religious pe- people's house, you know on the weekend that you'll be going to church and afterwards you'll be having a whole bunch of food and mac and cheese will be one of them. Is that – are they vegetarian or vegan? Or, oh, well, no, not vegan. No, 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 no. no. It's viewed worldwide as a comfort food. And just so you know, the first recipe for mac and cheese appeared in an 1824 cookbook, which was called The Virginian Housewife. I was wondering what you were going to say there, It was written by Mary Randolph, and she was a very famous cook at the time. And she actually had two cookbooks that went... So um, she was cooking for the Washington people from Virginia? Uh, Well, um, I would would imagine so, yeah. Capital people? Yeah. The book went on to become the most influential cookbook of the 18th century and... There were things more complicated than mac and cheese in it, weren't there? Yes, of course there was, yes. But she was the first one that actually put it into a book. Wow. 
And it then became known as an upper-class casserole dish. Wow. So there you go. The um, the rehabilitation of a, of a dish. Yep. In the early 1900s. Presidential dish that wasn't. Yeah. And all it took was for it to go into one cookbook, circulate all over the States, and people went berserk. Then, in the early 1900s, the ingredients became mass-produced. So oh, before no. that, they weren't mass-produced. They were actually cheese and not powdered cheese. Yes. And it was easier to package and sell it, so it lost the upper-class appeal and immediately became common household survival protein food. It went into the Walmart prepper Correct. aisle. In 1916, it was officially patented by James Kraft of Kraft Cheese. And there we go. The Americans love it so much, Michelle, that on July the 14th, it's National Mac and Cheese Day. Wow. So 10 days after the 4th of July. Correct. Like, National <laughs> wow. Mac- and all over the States, they have cook-offs. They have award ceremonies. A little tidbit, Mm. in Canada, and Mm. I remember this, it's called Kraft Dinner. It's not called mac and cheese. Right. Actually, even the packaging says Kraft Dinner. And I remember because I used to hang out with some, like, cool stoner kids, you know, spend all their money on pot. I wasn't one. I definitely was. (laughs) And, you know, you had no money left. You had a buck fifty. And how did you make it? Did you just pour water on it like you do your noodles? and straight into the microwave. Was it just, like, sludge? Cheesy sludge. Yeah. But so it's, and Kraft, listen to this. This is going to really make you wilt. <laughs> Kraft sells one million boxes of mac and cheese in the US per day. Wow. On average, an American. It's a lot of cellulite. It's a lot. It's a lot. On average. That's uh, a the, lot of kids who should have been eating something else for dinner. Anything else. The average American eats nine kilos of pasta a year. But wait for it, compared to the average Italian who eats 28 kilos of pasta per year. Wow, and who but, looks better? But if you went to Italy fitter? and said, want Kraft in a mac and cheese, you'd be yeah. clobbered. Well, that sent you straight out of the good restaurant, wouldn't they? That's my mac and cheese. That's my macaroni. But I'm going to end with, I found a website dedicated to poetry of just Macaroni. <laughs> so, Michelle, to take you out, I'd like to read you a poem um, written by Anonymous. I'm on the edge of my seat. Hot and gooey, macaroni <gasps> and cheese. For seconds and thirds, I'll say pretty please. For fourths and fifths, I'd say even more. I'll pay you in gold and silver galore. I'm hungry, you see, and cheddar tastes great. It jumps on my fork from the side of my plate. Or maybe a souffle, maybe some ham. With a touch, if you like, of strawberry jam. Don't call me greedy. Don't call me fat. I like what I like. Don't argue with that. For breakfast and dinner, supper and tea, just hand me a large plateful of macaroni. Oh, I love those multisyllabic words. I like it. Did you like my poem? I like it a lot. That's macaroni for you, Michelle. Do you know what a dandified gent was back in Jefferson's day? Yeah, so the Yankee Doodle Dandy, you mean? Yeah. So I did find out about that. Basically, they were known as sort of over-the-top gentlemen, Mm. flamboyant gentlemen that used to stick feathers in their hats. And I I can't remember where the macaroni thing came in. I read it. I reckon that it's that they were vacuous tubes of nothing. 
Yes. You know, just, yeah, just, I'm just a tube of, I'm I'm all show. Well, I don't think that was what it was because back then it was upper class food, right? So before it became common street food, it was considered a casserole. But but a man was called a macaroni. Yes. There there was a macaroni club, wasn't it? He was called a macaroni because back then it was was effluent. Exactly. Yes. You're eating macaroni and cheese? You someone, bish. I'm fascinated by the fact that there was a whole class of society that was able to pretty much subsist without ever earning anything. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Just get looked after by people as long yeah. as you've got the right surname, I guess. I don't know. Mm. Mm. So that's me done. Over to you, Michelle. I really liked that. And, you know, this is a fascinating, very cool little thing that's going to add to an outcome. Let's call it an outcome or a learning perhaps. I can segue from macaroni to Micronesia. I know. I know. I wait, Shock. I wait with bated breath. <gasps> Don't, don't bait it too much. Matthew, Matthew, hello, come back to me, Matthew. Um, Matthew, I want to go to empire and to colonialism because what you've just talked about really is the co-opting of a stodgy English food. The Americans took it back from empire and then Americans Americanized it. They made an American. That's never happened before. I can't. I know. What do you talk? I want to talk to you about Micronesia because Micronesia is the seat of colonial conquest across the ages. Okay, tell me more. What I thought of when I read about Micronesia for the first time, and I do now know where the Mariana Trench is, and Thank this is actually God. in the Marianas. The Marianas are part of, sorry, Oceania. Oceania includes places like Polynesia. Yeah. And Melanesia. Yep. And Micronesia. Unbelievably fascinating in that they, there's not a continent among them. They don't have a tectonic plate to speak of. Therefore, they're just atolls. They're little floating thousands, indeed, floating islands. Islands do float. It's part of the description, isn't it, or the definition of an island. Fascinatingly, there's a bit of mathematics as well in that the uh, formation is in the shape of a parallelogram. I know. A what a hologram? Well, it's not a Venn diagram. They're even more complicated than a parallelogram. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to say to the listeners, because this is an auditory rather than a uh, visual visual, uh, medium, I'd send you to a link. Just look it up, actually, parallelogram. (laughs) And I'm going to spell it for you because I love the word parallelogram. It's P-A-R-A-L-L-E-L-O. G-R-A-M. You pronounce it really well. Oh, I like it, parallelogram. I feel like I would say parallelogram. <laughs> yes, maybe you would, but I would get it right because I practised really annoyingly before coming in here <laughs> so that I could sound like I know what I'm talking about. Snap, snap. Have you heard of Guam? Yes. Have you heard of Guam. the Philippines? Yeah, so Guam, hang on. You know I'm good at geography and you're exciting me now. Oh, sorry, and you wanted to show off. Guam, Go. Guam is a little island in the Oceania as well that's now owned by America and they use it as their Pacific uh, military base. Philippines is also, uh, well, the southern the southern islands of the Philippines would be down that way as well, like Cebu and, and um, Porta Princesa. No, Porta Princesa is north, I lied. Kiribati, yes. um, the Gilbert Islands, etc. So. What's amazing about this area is that it's been contested forever because it's gorgeous. That's one thing. It's a place that you'd want to live if you happened to be floating by on a big junk. No, um, whatever that, whatever Magellan and and Da Gama um, sailed. You know the big boats with um, 
you know, sails and stuff. In the 1500s, anyway, once men got out from behind their uh, big, heavy desks and got behind the wheel right of a, of a boat and hopefully didn't get keel-hauled, the Spanish started what has been a, a history, a, a progressive, ongoing and uninterrupted history of colonial conquest in this area. And, you know, one of the really clear reasons is its location and the fact that it's close to Australia, it's close to Indonesia, it's close to the Austronesian area. And the Austronesian clumps of islands include Micronesia. What I wanted to do, instead of talking too much about all of the white people history, because it really upset me as I read this, I thought, oh, I just keep thinking of Indigenous Australia and the fact that whatever I read was about the the destruction, the loss, the chipping away at uh, culture, language, Practice, religion, okay. whatever. So you're going to go back to what the I'm original... I'm going to read... I'm going to give you a little bit of um, folklore because I really loved this, this little tale. So Palau yep. is in Micronesia. So this is a Palauan myth. It's the story of a magical breadfruit tree. Ooh. So it's really specific. Do you know what breadfruit is? <laughs> no. I think it's the fruit that's really freaking smelly and no, you can use it for everything that's durian, isn't it? Isn't yeah, it durian. And then there's jackfruit and then there's, we've got one in our backyard that my husband's mum loves. She comes over and goes, oh, my God, when they're fruiting, let me know. I'll put it in all my Asian dishes. That's not at all what she sounds like. I love all people. And that might, have been, that might, be, um, that might be jackfruit, I think, that she's. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So breadfruit, I probably should have actually gotten across what it looks like. But anyway, let's imagine little hanging loaves of bread. Yes. Because we're making this up. We're not making this up, actually, and we're not culturally appropriating. We're just recounting. The breadfruit tree is actually the child of the sun. And the child of the sun decided, I need to provide for my human mother. So I've got a dad who's a son and a mum who's a human. That was never going to go wrong, was it? No, my gosh. Coupled them, like fine and dandy, fiery, (laughs) frisky, fiery and frisky. So in order to provide fish for his human mum to eat, the son cut a big hole in the centre of this breadfruit tree. It was growing right outside her house. And then the hole in the tree was the portal through which the waves chucked fish. The waves, because waves, you know, by their motion kind of do a lot of chucking, chuck fish through the hole in the breadfruit tree. Now, the mother, therefore, simply had to walk outside. She didn't have to go down and do all the fishing thing, or wow. indeed even wait for the, the, for the waves to chuck the fish at her. She'd just stand by the tree and somehow... Through the tree came the fish. Not fruit, not bread, fish, people fish. Now, this is a really sad, sad tale of humanity because what happens when you got yourself a fish-fruiting breadfruit tree? What happens? I got nothing. You got pissed-off neighbours who get a little bit jelly. Naturally, the human condition. Exactly. I want one of those fish-fruiting breadfruit trees like my neighbour Frida has. <laughs> Frida? Only because of... <laughs> <laughs> I was getting into my little Asian. So the neighbours become jealous and they decide to 
No, they cut the tree down. Oh, so if we can't have it as well, no one can have no it. No one has the fish fruiting breadfruit tree. Such the human condition. They chop it down and what happens? The tree happened not only to be fruiting lots of fish, it actually was also doing a very important hydrological job. The tree's gone. We have a mass flood. Oh, no. Catastrophe. Engulfs the whole island. Oh, Lord. So Palau, not much of it now. No. There's just the... P- yeah. And... The- at the and end. Did the neighbour's house be the first one to go? Oh, they they were the first to perish. Good. Yes. Good. Because there's another one of the many morals in this little tale. <laughs> don't be a shit to your neighbours. <laughs> and don't, don't be chopping down the fish-fruiting breadfruit tree. You know the only person who lived in the whole island, on the whole island? of The, da- the dad's son. No, the, the just dad, the mummy. The dad, he pissed off long ago. Wherever he <laughs> hangs his hat is his home and he's up in the sky. He's hanging his, his hat up there and, you know, he's waiting for Icarus to come and get near him. Mummy was the only person to survive and guess what the son did? Murdered her. No, no. There's Married no her. fatricide here. There's no patricide. There's no eatable thing going on. No, 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 no. The son just went, Dad, okay, really, uh, keep shining on us. Mum, you're a human and you're not going to survive here on... So I'm going to take you on a magic raft into the sky. Mm. And I think maybe that you've got an interesting little um, meshing there of the very much Christian creation myth and and, um, ascension into heaven is what I'm trying to find. The mum here (laughs) is, is Mary... And the son ah. is Jesus, and the son is clearly God. Very similar, isn't it? They've just given it, they've just given it a seafood flavour. And this is the really sad thing, and it's what all of the literature speaks to. And I went right back to a paper which was highly oh paternalistic from 1965. I didn't read very much of it, but what all of the, these papers did acknowledge is that the culture has been obliterated. Well, transmogrified and and made unwhole and fragmented. Thank you, Michelle. That's a really interesting exploration into Micronesia. Um, And what does micro mean, by the way, just quickly? Very, very small. Yes. So you've got microeconomics, which is very, very small. Yes, you've got micropenis. Yeah. Oh. (laughs) Have you ever seen a micropenis? Yes, and on that note. Thank you. Bye. (laughs) 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 Michelle, thank you for that exploration. No, no, no problem. No problem at all. We love all people's dear valued listener and we hope you've enjoyed our exploration into macaroni. Oh, I'm Kiwi again. Macaroni. Macaroni. And Macronesia. <laughs> Bye, Michelle. <laughs> Bye, Matthew. Bye, Matthew.